boy. That is what we will do to enemy honor. Captain, your targ is most impressive. Like Kor's Hound at the Battle of Klachtikelbracht. Oh, I'm surprised someone your age knows of that glorious day. Oh, it is one of my favorite slaughters. We could sing a song about it. If... <laughs> the blood wine barrel runs low. Fetch us more. Yes, sir. <laughs> Welcome to Strange New Takes. My name is Notch Karnick, and with me regenerating on Borg Cube 90182 are Billboy1, Emily Bowen Marler, Adam Bowen, and Rudy Baker. Welcome to Strange New Takes. We're taking, uh, we're reviewing episodes in this strange new era of Star Trek where, like, there's new Star Trek, and then there's going to be new Star Trek that's happening at the same time as other new Star Trek, and then we're going to, yeah, it, it's going to be crazy this year. So, uh, yeah, this is the ninth episode that we're going to be talking about of season two of Lower Decks. Uh, it's, uh, I believe, pronounced uh, Wage Dooch. I I looked I looked up the international uh, phonetical pr- uh, phonetics for this, and <laughs> I think that's how you do it. All right, um, and if all the strange new trek is not enough for you, um, and you want to get more crazy, follow us on social media at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And some of it will be up, some of it will be down. Who knows? It was a fun week, right? <laughs> um, but um, and do tell your friends about us. Um, we also love five stars, five star ratings on Apple Podcasts. So don't forget to do that. And if you give us a five star rating, we will read out your review here. And as always, we are one hundred percent going to spoil the episode that we are talking about. We may also spoil all other Star Trek because we know that Lower Decks has more references to Star Trek than just about anything else in the world. <laughs> so you know. But at least have watched the Lower Decks episode that we're about to talk about because we're spoiling it. All right. Well, as Adam mentioned earlier, we are talking about Lower Decks episode nine of season two, Wedge Dooge. Uh, it was written by Catherine Lynn. It was directed by Bob Suarez. It first aired on 7th October 2021. We always start with our strange new takes. So crew, who's got a strange new take for me? I can get started. Um, let's just go to a strange new take for this episode first. Um, some good wisdom here that I'm going to take with me, um, uh, into my life. Logic is the beginning of wisdom, not the end. Um, that is deep. Um, I like that. Um, Mm -hmm. general, general new, um, general, general strange new take would be, if you grow honeydews, if you've ever grown honeydews, um, um, you may know this, or you know, if you haven't, you plan to, word of wisdom, um, they take forever to ripen. <laughs> Are those um, the green ones? Like, they're green inside? 
No, I think they're supposed to be orange inside, but they take forever to ripen. You leave them on the creeper, um, you take them out, you ripen them. It just takes forever. So, <laughs> um, plan ahead. How I'm how long is forever? I'm just thinking that like is every honeydew that I've ever eaten from like the 1800s <laughs> <laughs> aged aged. It feels um, like I kind of committed an atrocity. Like I just destroyed a, a piece of year. history each with each bite. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson planted this. Now again, I don't know if this is just me, but the one that I aged the most uh, took uh, I think two months, a month on the creeper, and then like. You know, and this is not a month of it growing from a small fruit to a full grown fruit. It was on, on the creeper for a month full grown. And then mm-hmm. it was it was ripened at home for a month. And then it wasn't ripe when I um, it was tasty, but it wasn't quite ripe. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, so maybe I, I need to age it some more the next few. I, I've, I've grown other melons. I don't think I've grown a, a honeydew. But yeah, there, there's all these tricks for like how you're supposed to tell and... Yeah, they, it's they're so long when they're just like sitting there on the ground, and then sometimes they just uh, spoil, so you like never got to eat it because you were waiting too long. (laughs) Okay, I can I can jump in here. Uh, So my strange new take, I'll I'll be brief and to the point. The muffaletta is the best sandwich. Honorable mention for the cubano. Mm. Oh, I it's. Opposite for me. You gotta gotta go with the coupon. <laughs> I'll fight you, Adam. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the difference, but I know what the cubano is. I'm trying to remember what the muffaletta has on it. it dude, it's it's like a Creole like New Orleans thing. And all I'm gonna yeah. say is that olive tapenade is like the sauce on the sandwich. Yeah. I mean how yeah, can you, I do you like know? olive tapenade? Um anyway, I thought the episode was like pretty fun. I thought the creative like format with the Klingon ship and the Vulcan ship was really cool. I enjoyed that a lot. So yeah. Yeah. Looking forward to discussing it more. Uh, so I, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, mostly just to, so part of my explanation of why I believe the Cubano is better than the uh, muffaletta <laughs> is that I, I have had bad muffalettas that I did not enjoy. That has never happened for a Cuban sandwich. So hmm. Hmm. I, I think it, it it's it's both perfect because it's delicious, but also it is incorruptible. Uh, so, yeah, for uh, hmm, it's hard to tell. I, I, I don't know. This one is maybe. I guess that was my out of uh, uni- out of Star Trek universe take. So the my in universe one is. Uh, I think that Klingon glyphs should be included in Unicode because. I, I don't know. It's a shame that Wikipedia's Klingon language entry has to use SVG files to represent the Klingon glyphs. Like that's it's it's 2021. Everyone, uh, we should have we should be able to type Klingon like using the uh, other languages keyboards on our computers. Okay, it's 2021. It's not 2381. Okay, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> so. I think I am very suggestible when it's suggestible. I can't speak suggestible when it comes to food because now I want to eat a Cubano sandwich. And I also, but this reminds me of when um, I was watching the show one day at a time, like the reboot of it that was on Netflix. And when they would make Cuban coffee, I was like, 
oh, I want that. And so like I went out to go figure out how to buy what I needed <laughs> to make the coffee that they were making because it just <laughs> sounded so delicious. So that's my strange new take on life is that I'm suggestible by what I am watching. It makes me want to go try different foods. Um, my strange new take for the episode is I think that maybe I laughed the least on this episode but enjoyed it the most. So I found that interesting. Like it wasn't like a big laugh out loud kind of episode for me, but it was a very enjoyable episode. So I just find that interesting. You know, it's interesting when we talk about Cubanos because it always, first of all, my favorite time, which is a taco closely followed by a hot dog. (laughs) Uh, But when when people say the Cubano, it always makes me think of the cocktail named a Cuba Libre. And I'm pretty sure I've actually made reference to, to something like this on this as, as my strange new take in the past which is that if you want to be extremely snooty and walk up to a bartender confuse them make them slightly annoyed at you and kind of annoy impress your friends go to a bar and order a cuba libre follow that up by ordering a gibson a cuba libre is popularly known as a rum and coke uh and a gibson is a martini except instead of an olive you get a cocktail onion so it's, I spent a great amount of my 20s being like, I'll have a Gibson, please. What the fuck is a Gibson? Oh, just a martini. <laughs> just put the onion in. We don't have onions. Oh, okay. I'll just have a martini. Thanks. A little dirty, please. Uh, and now I want yeah. a Cuba Libre. There you go. With the Cubano. Oh, my God. Yeah, Yeah, Cuba Libre and Cubano. Fantastic. Um, I have feelings about this episode, by mm. the way. I don't know what they are yet. And I'm kind of <laughs> hoping that you all can help me find them. Um, it was sort of serious. It was sort of funny. It was kind of back and forth a lot. And I was just like, I don't understand. And unlike a lot of other episodes, I haven't watched this one twice. So I couldn't really like think through it while I was watching it a second time. So as this episode goes on, I'm hoping to form my opinion and rating, but I'm a blank canvas for your opinions right now, crew. So with that, let us jump into some in-depth episode discussion. Here's the summary from Memory Alpha. Boimler tries to find a bridge buddy. While the USS Cerritos crew has downtime during a long warp trip. Isn't the, aren't, isn't like Trip Tucker always a long warp? He's always a long warp trip. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, story and writing. Louis, this, this episode jumped around from several different ships. And I don't remember another Star Trek episode where we've got this kind of text... Uh, change where it's like now on this different ship Vulcan cruiser Cheval or like whatever you know like those interludes haven't existed I feel like in other Star Trek episodes that I can remember Red Alarm Red Alarm (laughs) 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 I even said that this morning we were playing or no last night we were playing Star Trek with Dietrich and I was like Red Alarm (laughs) Red Alarm (laughs) uh yeah, I I I love the that that text treatment. It's I yeah I I, I it it reminded me of something. I, I haven't quite figured out what it is. I, I mean, it's obviously using like the the uh, old uh, or those old scientists uh, their favorite font uh, for the <laughs> uh, for the ships. But it's um, I don't know. It 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 had, for me it had like a feel of like a modern like Star Trek movie or something almost. And it it was just a. a I don't know. It, it was it was a great sort of way to to get you interested to to learn about this new ship that you're going into. It um, gave me a sense of 
it gave me a sense of nostalgia at the same time, right? Like I couldn't place it, and I haven't watched a lot of uh, older track uh, pre TNG, um, but it somehow felt like I'd seen it, and it, it 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 pulled me in. It was like I mean, I loved the whole three ship play thing, by the way, but um, I I, I like the font. Uh, it was a little 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 too large. It kind of in some cases it completely eclipsed the ship that <laughs> it was um, it was uh, naming, but uh, liked it. Yeah, and I, 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 those ships were beautiful. So <laughs> you you want like the they the always extended are division. on this show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the it, it was very much I think a great demonstration of how far we've come with the animation on Lower Decks that they were able to show us so many different settings all in one, and again take all us through all of these different ships without the one of them looking like crap i think all of them visually looked very nice as well it, with the mm-hmm. interiors the backdrops and everything the, the scene setting was good in my opinion yeah so it, it, it's it's weird that even the uh even the pack led ship looks kind of cool it looks a little bit uh dumb also but it's <laughs> it's got the same kind of treatment as the others <laughs> The, the backlight, backlight clump ship, <laughs> Also, did anyone else want the board cube to be nano two one zero? I did. I did. Me. I was going to say that. Yes. No, it's not. It's nine zero one eight two. Yeah, and then they could have like you know done. I mean, I, they can't do hair for, but they could have like done a Luke Perry and a, and a Jason Priestley. And I want to see what zip code nine hundred two or nine hundred one eight two is. I, I, I just googled it. It's not. It's not an American zip code. Oh, it isn't. Oh, yeah. They should have picked. They should have picked like. I'm assuming there's more than one zip code for Beverly Hills. It would have been funny if yeah. they picked the other zip code for Beverly Hills. Yeah, <laughs> or if it was some like. Vasquez rocks or like, you know, (laughs) that would have been great. Yeah. 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 So let's, I I think we, we should um, talk a little bit about each of these ships. Um, That that's kind of the way I was thinking about it, but there's a bit here about foreshadowing um, because there's a linear plot in this episode, which doesn't become clear to us until about Mm -hmm. halfway through. Um, so I, I don't know if you all want to talk about some of the early stuff with the Klingon ship first, or if you all want to jump straight into the linear plot. Like, um, again, I'm a blank canvas for your opinions. My friends. <laughs> I, I will say that um, at the end of the first season, I was we talked about aliens um, uh, through the first season. I think we did a end of end of season review and. I'd called out that it would be much. It would be really nice to see some of the, you know, the original races, the big races, the main races, and the new one. Um, and then we did see it a little bit here and there with with Cardassians at the beginning of the second season. I, I feel this episode, in in terms of that that need for me, nailed it right. Like I mean, there mm-hmm. were Klingons in the first season as well, but the fact that they took the three primary races and and round robin through all of them and introduce the concept of lower decks across all of them i mean i'm not even considering the backlids i, I don't quite like that but sure it's a comedy show so um i i i really like that aspect and they they stuck to they stuck to the lore of each of those races um i guess some of some some viewers may have um wanted it to be a little more you know um exaggerated but i like the fact that they they stuck to a 
Vulcan social cultural lore, Klingon social cultural lore, and and it it was yeah, it was like you know what netted bunks for the I mean I don't know, let's go ship by ship I guess um, but but um, it it looked it it fit well for me I, I was able to digest it all yeah and okay. and, I, and I guess what's interesting about it is uh, for for me it's I think this is some of the like best culture writing that we've done for some of these races like recently in Star Trek because it, it's yeah. I, I feel like uh, Discovery sort of promised big on that we were going to like learn a lot about Klingon culture and then they fired the guy who had all the ideas for it and at least from my perspective it sounded like that was what happened and then they just I don't know reverted to oh sorry we meant to be the TNG Klingons but like here we right. we've we're 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 it's firmly rooted in those Klingon the the Klingons that we know from TNG and DS9 but I I think that we're still getting we're learning interesting things about them and that the Vulcans especially is I I think some of the the best like Vulcan writing since uh Enterprise where like we're we're not just seeing uh, we're, we're, I guess we're, we're seeing Vulcans within themselves struggling with their own sort of like trying to reinforce their own cultural beliefs. And it's we're not having to um, have like uh, other humans to like be foils to them or whatever, or mm-hmm. like Trip Trip doesn't have to say anything sassy to anybody. Like it's it's just uh, them struggling with themselves. And, and I think that's, it was such an interesting way to, to explore this and to have it in the middle of a, of a lower deck season <laughs> felt very strange, but yeah, it was great. Well, you know, it's so funny, like in, this is like totally an aside, but I mentioned to you all before we started recording that, um, we were showing the episode redemption to my kid and it's really, I think that's the name of the episode. It's whatever the one where the Klingons are getting ready to have a civil war. And then you find out the Romulans are kind of involved behind the scenes, kind of propelling it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, it was really interesting that I happened to watch that episode right after this episode of Laura Dex, where you have the Klingons kind of behind the scenes with the pack leads. And anyway, it's just, just interesting to me. Yeah, I think it's, we, we, we see... With the Klingon ship, we see something that we have seen sort of in Trek before. I I watched the YouTube video of Worf killing Gowron um, right mm. after this to kind of see another place where you know the Klingon leadership leader is killed mm. by one of his underlings, and uh, of course in that scene Worf only takes the mantle of leader for a little while. But in this episode, we have this underling who wants to be captain. My initial sense when I saw that this was a lower decks was like, this dude is going to be like, kind of like Boimler always trying to be the captain, but doesn't actually get to in the end. So it was, it was interesting to see it actually follow, to see a lower decker kind of follow through and, and that the Klingons have a fundamentally different method of promotion and, and achievement in that way, if that makes sense. I think that bit about you're right with with all all, all three ships or the other two ships, right? Um, the 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 Vulcan ship, um, what is it, Cheval, and the Klingon mm-hmm. one is Cheta or something like that. Right? Cheta, yeah. Um, we totally go in with the mindset of there's going to be a lot of either there's going to be goofiness or there's going to be some kind of failure in front of senior officers. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and you, you, you get that in the beginning, you get that through the first half of the episode and, and 
it then pivots later on in such a in such a nice um track redeeming style like of the 90s i feel um so i, I also felt the same way notch i i thought they would stumble um they did this guy was you know taking dogs for walks and uh, getting getting stuck behind old drunken um klingon <laughs> senior officers yeah. but um it, it it was it was just done well i felt yeah i i, I loved the Captain, the leg has been passed. It was an honorable movement. <laughs> yes. All time great uh, Klingon dialogue in Star Trek. <laughs> it's fantastic. Did we know that Targs ate Klingons? We just like, thought they'd eat anything, right? Like their food is also yeah. anything, but uh, I mean yeah, we've I... seen we've seen them eat Giorgio's brain out of a skull or whatever like we saw that in discovery so but that was the klingons themselves i just didn't know if this is new tor- targ lore yeah i, I just wow. i feel like probably everything on chronos is carnivorous and will eat anything else given the okay. chance so <laughs> brb rewriting some of my star trek rpg characters to take this into account <laughs> i play a sentient targ no i don't okay <laughs> Um, that would be awesome <laughs> right uh, I, I, I also is this one of the only times we've seen a Klingon actually filing their teeth because that yeah that, that was, was so like, funny that, that was no. ah, I think we've seen oh, no, we we've died. seen Ferengi do it okay yeah I, but I don't think I don't think Klingons did y'all have that intrinsic discomfort <laughs> that I did because my teeth I've had a lot of teeth tooth work done in my life and it's just like to see like that kind of like grating on the teeth it's like oh, stop yeah, this is my yeah. nightmare yeah, and then the, while that's happening, the like bunkmate or whatever like just walks over to our protagonist and just punches him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all in good spirit, right? That guy doesn't like get angry. Yeah. He's like, "Come on, let's go get some food or something." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I so so this is this is actually true of all of the um, lower decks kind of scenes that we saw. They didn't actually make it so that there's like corollaries of our four lower deckers from Starfleet in these other settings. Mm-hmm. So like there wasn't like an identifiable Boimler Marin or whatever. Like I kind of expected that when they first popped out of the screen. I don't know how y'all felt about the fact that they went kind of fresh rather than recreating like a parallel, a mirror or something like that. Well, I do think that Talyn was supposed to kind of echo Mariner. Yeah, and, and I think Ma'at, I think Ma'at is, is also has a similar, like, Boimler-ish vibe. So it, it, it's, it, yeah, I, I think that there's a little bit of parallels happening here. But uh, I think since they wanted to, like, tell those two people's specific stories, they probably just had to, like, I don't think anyone else even gets names besides uh, Dorg, the captain of um, the Klingon ship. Dorg. And wait, no, you forgot someone really important, Adam. Who is <coughs> Rebnar? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> no, Rebnar. Sorry, Rebnar. Rebnar. <laughs> it's like I know we've met several times. <laughs> um, so, so we we meet the Klingon crew first, then we switch over to the Vulcan ship where. To Lynn, I mean, this is this is kind of like your your Spock story, pretty much, which is that the the Vulcan who can't quite completely suppress their emotions, and it's. I thought this story was a little repetitive, where it seemed like every scene was like, 
I have all of these feelings and ideas and they're doing good. And all the other Vulcans are like, you need to stop doing that and meditate. And then it's like, no, I have these feelings. And, they... and it just every time it felt very single note, even though it did move the plot along. I felt I I saw that, but I felt that it was it was just in my perspective learning about in groups and out groups and Vulcan social culture and suppressing emotion is is um, highly you know you know rewarded and being and also used as a way to oppress others right um, and I got I got that Spock feel as well so I did get a little bit of. Uh, comparative to the um, Cerritos crew but it was it was a nice mix and and y'all pointed out that they picked out one one character specifically from Vulcan from the Vulcan ship and then from the Klingon ship but um, I I liked it I I like what they did on the Vulcan ship um, um, it, it just felt that they could tease that story a little bit more uh, in the future now, when we get to it, we'll know that she leaves. But um, it it gave me a sense of grounding, and I was I wasn't lost. So I I liked the connect back to Spock. I was like, yep, that happens to people who are smart, and and uh, sometimes they get pushed down. And I think she handled it well, right? She Dylan handled it well, and like she tried to communicate logic in everything that she was doing, right? Um, and I mean that that phrase that I I really loved, right? It's not the end of wisdom; it's the beginning of wisdom. Um, I think I think it came across well, and um, yeah, I I just just want to see where she goes. Um, I'm jumping ahead, but maybe she goes to the Cerritos. Who knows? I mean, that's what they're I, yeah, I think they're that setting that up to, yeah. to happen. Yeah, and I, I'm I my guess is that she'll be a like a main cast member. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I hope for I hope so because it, it's um I I think she's got a really interesting background because it, it's. I, I don't know it especially like I'm hoping that it's not like oh she's also half human and it's it's Spock's mm. granddaughter or something like that <laughs> uh, since this isn't discovery I don't think that's what's going to happen but uh the I, I I think it's interesting to see the person because like for me it was an interesting exploration of um like a lot of Vulcan culture I guess we're usually thinking about like okay you need to repress your emotions you need to like think about logic all the time, maybe meditate a bunch. But uh, this sort of explores also like how much there is like social pressure to re- sort of repress any dissent or any uh, any sense that someone is is deviating for a reason that you can't explain. Um, like we even get on the sense of like the a, a Vulcan would rather not talk to you if there's no purpose in talking to you. Uh, and I I think that that's. It, it's it's interesting to explore that a little bit more than uh, we typically get to, and it's um, I I don't know I I just I thought this this episode was was great at showing that. And, and I yeah, think I it's... think it's, it's going to be interesting also when Talyn if and when Talyn joins Arcos to get back that sort of Kirk Spock dynamic, which we got a little bit of with Archer and Tapal of the Vulcan human kind of breakdown. It's a classic Trek dynamic. And it's, 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 there's so many wonderful, beautiful things that you can do with that, that are both funny and kind of profound that I, I really hope that that's the direction in which they're going. I hope y'all are right in that front as well. Um, I thought, uh, as even though I thought that this specific set of scenes, I, as I said before, were a little repetitive. I did like the Vulcan captain. Um, I yeah. thought that was that was an interesting character, 
I think it might be one of the f fewer, maybe some. I'm trying to think how many other Vulcans fit this group. Um, Spock's dad, whose name I'm not forgetting. Sarek. Uh, Sarek. <laughs> Sarek may be the only one, but not all iterations of Sarek either. Some of them qualify on, don't qualify under this thing. But this might be the one, the first high, higher or higher ranking Vulcans that we have met who's not an asshole. He's yeah. firm, but yeah. he's also compassionate. And, well, not really compassionate, mm -hmm. no emotions. But, yeah. no. but also, like, um, looking out for the best interests of the other Vulcan under their command. Yeah. Is Soval the one in Enterprise? Who becomes yes. Yeah, Soval is the Enterprise guy who then becomes good later. And then, yeah. spoiler alert, gets shot and just blown up. <laughs> but uh, he starts out being an ass. Yeah. And I... <clears throat> I, I think Sh Shaval is in, or the captain of the Shaval here is is interesting because it, uh, his, his like uh, explanation to her at the end, I I can kind of get his his perspective. Like it's her impulsivity. Yes, it's it saved them. Like she she was sort of she had this project that was sort of like the secret thing that enabled them to survive the encounter. But if she hadn't been uh, like messing with the sensors. And then also going sensors. to the captain, sensors, uh, and then going to the captain to like change their course. They wouldn't have even been in this encounter at all. So like from the the perspective of a Vulcan, it might have been better if if no one ever deviates. Like they're just always going to be safe. There's no danger. We're just like surveying planets and stuff like that, and learning stuff. Uh, maybe uh, what what's she she clearly do she does not belong there, and she could be dangerous on a Vulcan ship. But she can she can contribute a lot to a human ship and like Starfleet values some of the, uh, the uh, kind of the impulsivity that she shows. And it, I, I think it's, it's an interesting way where he, he's, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Notch, that he's like a sympathetic character where like he, he does know what's best for her in this case. And it's probably that she shouldn't be with Vulcans. It's yep. an interesting take. I I think also um, there's this bit about because when she first goes to him with information, he listens to her and I almost feel like there's like a Mariner Freeman kind of like relationship mm. like some going on there, but it looks like there isn't. And so then I go back and think, right, in the end, what what does command mean? You are able to take more out of lesser information and execute it, right? That's that's why you are in that position. And that is independent of race. So he's like, okay, you have you have something that I'm going to... In my position, I think it's worthwhile doing. And I don't know how it works, how, how promotions and, and moving up in your career work, works on Vulcan. Maybe it is extremely, you know, rigid and meritocratic and tenure is really important and that's how you go forward. And so she, you know, she she wouldn't she wouldn't work there, but um, and also she used a lot of these emotional words throughout, right? You could see them every four or five sentences. She would she would put in an emotional word, um, but but in this, in essence, command is is valuable for people who are able to look at things that others miss, right? And mm -hmm. and react early. So and I'm I'm hoping that that the rest of Vulcan also because we always see Vulcan in in very narrow views like the enterprise view mm -hmm. or you know um even in the past right um I, I think there's more to them and and maybe it's not just this captain he it's 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 a lot of vulcans 
At this point, I think it might be good for us to take a break before we do go any further, because otherwise there won't be much to talk about after the break. So let's do that. <laughs> Let the listeners get a little audio cue from the episode, and we will return with much more. We are fortunate that your shield program worked. If you had not been following your instinct, it is unlikely we would have survived that encounter. I concur. However, your inability to control your emotions is a liability. I am removing you from duty. Captain, I believe you are making an error. Your perceived victory today will only serve as fuel for further impulsivity. There is no place for that on this starship. I will gather my personal items and prepare to return to Vulcan. You will not be returning to Vulcan. Curious. I am recommending you for reassignment to a Starfleet vessel. Your hot-headed ways may make you better suited to serve with humans. Captain, I ask that you reconsider. I do not believe this punishment is warranted. And that is exactly the type of outburst which led to my decision. It is final. Live long and prosper, sir. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where we've been talking about how children should be more inclined towards knockoff Chinese Legos. Or, I mean, real Legos. <laughs> I'll be a lot happier if that was the case. But, uh, you know. You know, when I was a kid, I had Duplo. That, this was before Duplo was bought by Lego. And uh, you know what Duplo are? Duplo are Legos, but with huge blocks. So yeah. Oh, yeah. We, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we I, have those, I didn't too. realize that it wasn't the same, always. Yeah, Duplo was like, it was kind of like a not quite Lego brand back in the day, and then they like bought each other or whatever. I don't know exactly how it went. Mm. Did it come from the Duplers? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, well, we were, we've discussed the Klingons, we've discussed the Vulcans. It's time to go over to the Backled Clump Ship Packled. <laughs> Bill, you enjoyed this very much. I, the joke isn't getting old for me. I mean, the pack lads, they're just like really dumb. <laughs> say dumb stuff. I, I need a it's ship awesome. registry for, for, for their entire fleet to see how uh, yeah. how they differentiate. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I, when Dude, when he's talking about the bomb, he's like, oh, we tested it on an asteroid and it stopped working. <laughs> it's like, it's a bomb. It just works once. <laughs> excellent it was really excellent i mean like and this is i mean this isn't just a backlight doing something incredibly dumb i mean it is incredibly <laughs> dumb but it requires a bit of like writing talent to come up with this yeah, specific yeah. scenario you know it's not like yeah. there was a banana peel and he slipped and you know the bomb went off like it's it's there's something like i i like this how they were able to surprise us with the backlits yeah yeah for sure what well, and, and also that they they like tied it in seriously to the rest of the narrative of like uh like ma'al like realizes yeah. like there's metreon particles that'll be detectable by other ships and like and we have seeded it uh in earlier in the episode that people are uh are uh looking into these uh metreon emissions or whatever and <laughs> i just love that it's it's because yeah, the it... pecklets are absolute dumbasses which is why they're detectable <laughs> And it it actually ties into the entire season too. Yeah, yeah. Right with the bomb. Yeah. So I mean, I mean we had, we had been speculating how the the backleds were being funded by lore or like some other sort of like sneaky yeah. uh, entity, and it's it's just one Klingon dude, renegade captain. Yeah, it's a pivot point in the in the season, right? Like mm -hmm. they allude to that towards the end. Um, <clears throat> 
I love the Packler jokes, but I just think they're too stupid in general. So it, to to maintain uh, uh, antagonist campaign throughout a season, I think is going to be continuously hard. So wondering <coughs> over the next few episodes if this takes a twist um, and, and there's more uh, puppeteers in the background or it's just, you know. Oh, the next one episode. We've only got one yeah. left, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah, do we? Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think I, I have to disagree with you there because they're not all done. There is the really smart putt back lid uh, who knows that if you're hung if you're hungry, you should eat something. <laughs> Mush fruit. I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't share that doubt though, Rudy. I gotta say, like, I feel like. The, ch- the 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 charm is that they're so stupid and that like we don't have anything like this so it's, I, it could get old like I'll give you like maybe like seven seasons from now I'll be like yep you were right <laughs> but this gimmick is so fresh that like I really feel like we can we can go there for a while like honestly what I'm hoping happens is that the Cerrito get Cerritos gets dumped into the Delta Quadrant and has to deal with the Kazon for a little bit. And maybe that's how they can keep it fresh. <laughs> you can make Kazon jokes for a season or two. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll i be honest. I'm a little disappointed with the culmination of who's behind the backlets. Like I, I was hoping it was going to be something a little bit more. I don't know. This wasn't serious or funny. You know, it wasn't. I was hoping it was something like funny and devious rather than kind of just like straight up villainous. Uh, and it seemed made, makes the whole thing seem very small if it's just one Klingon captain, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a fair point. <clears throat> Hopefully yeah, I, there's more pu- puppeteers, but we don't know. Um, I, I just like the perspective from, from uh, right? Like he was looking up to somebody and mm-hmm. he wanted to get there, but then he had this moment of I must stand for what is right. And I think even though it's, a, it's, a, it's animation, it, it did come across as is believable to me so um i i i know it diminishes i guess it diminishes the potential scale of the backler plot but i like the 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 lower decks angle on the klingon side which which worked yeah and and i i like that it's a um he has a klingon reason for for thinking that it's uh thinking that it's wrong to do this it's it's not that like oh no peace is the way and like we should all love the federation like they've done all these mm-hmm. great things for me it's it's like n- no where you we're manipulating other people to fight our battles and that's not the klingon way which it, and i i thought that that was a um it, i i i just like that we're not um treating them as as just like oh here's here's a klingon that should be in starfleet it's like no he's He's probably he needs to be higher mm-hmm. up there in uh, the Klingons. Like he's got a good like uh, future ahead of him there, and um, yeah. So I, I I appreciated that part about it. Yeah, it's it it leaves the question of whether this side of the plot is over now. Like, are the backleds defeated, or are we gonna get more backled attacks? Um, and I, I think that's still an open question. We've got one episode left, so maybe that's going to be their like song, song or whatever. But I, I don't know. I, it's kind of hard for me to tell where we're going to go with this, you know? Big showdown, USS Titan, Riker. Yeah, R- yeah. Riker has to save the day in the final episode because this is uh, an episode of Star Trek or the, a, a season finale in Star Trek. 
Uh, I, I mean that that should be their like trope every time William Boimler comes back. Um, the the other thing I'll, I'll point to is the final battle of this episode. What y'all think about that one? I I it loved was, it. It it was, yeah, it was uh, nice. the, the yeah. moment where the um, the Vulcan ship arrives. Like it it gave me some of those same feelings as uh, seeing the Enterprise in First Contact. Like just warp, warp in and like start saving the day and whatever. And it, uh, yeah, it, it was. I mean, the shots were beautiful. Uh, the we we got some great music, uh, and <clears> it uh, yeah. I, I I don't know. It, it's it, it, this this sh- this whole episode is an interesting experiment with like, what if we made like more or less like a normal Star Trek episode, but like embedded it in lower decks. Like, yes, we'll have ten percent of it will be just for jokes, but um, I I don't know. I I like I felt the tension, and I was I was really invested in that battle at the end. I mean, we all knew how the battle was going to turn out, but, um, but, but yeah, I liked, I liked the scenes. I liked the fact that they, I think they executed that hyperlink well in the end, three plots connecting. Um, and we kind of sensed it as we got towards the end of the mm-hmm. episode. That's what, that's what was going to happen. Um, I, it made, it made total sense. Um, I, I don't know if this is a time where we jump to talk about, um, the the Cerritos and the fun stuff happening in there. Um, uh, I I would love to talk about the Hawaiian situation. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Loads of fun. I think it's very realistic in in uh, uh, people at work uh, mistakenly <laughs> developing faux cliques and realizing that none of none of it is true. Um, what what did y'all think? <sighs> I, I I thought it was a it was a great reveal that he's also not a Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> he did it for the same reason, but and and it's like no, it's just because I like you guys. I would have liked you either way. <laughs> it's, like, no, we're all from moons. Like f you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I think it was funny, and I think there is a little bit of that kind of bumbly kind of slapstick. I did think this was maybe the weakest part of the episode, so I thought. It was kind of throwaway, and honestly, we, if they had been able to pack a few of the other plots a little bit more, we could have just ejected this entire plot. It did serve some purpose at the very end, though, because I feel like we finally acknowledge that Boimler has actually grown and become a very competent officer because he's mm-hmm. the ransom sends the cadet over to like talk to him. So that was really special. I'll say, like that part mm-hmm. of the plot was kind of uh, very meaningful for me. That's I like consider- the way they had ransom kind of catch you know like yeah. catch what was going on i liked that yeah we're we're we're, we're full on this season like redeeming ransom he's he's not nearly yeah. as rapey as he was uh at the end no. of the first one no i, I was just going to say that is if you consider ransom competent but uh, hey he's the first officer so yeah i I, I think we've been trying to show him as competent besides the that he gave in to the becoming a god in the was that the first episode yeah um but uh yeah, I, I I think we've been seeing hints of of that he actually is a good commander and is like looking out for the people underneath him and like he's he seems to be sponsoring uh, Boimler and like looking out for opportunities for him to grow and stuff like that. Which, mm-hmm. by the way, if you are out there in in your in your workday uh, and you have opportunities to to mentor people, you should think about are you sponsoring those people as well because. Often what people actually need is someone to, to like give them opportunities and look out for them, not just like 
give them advice based on like mm-hmm. what you think is helpful to them. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So go ahead, Bill. I was just going to say, I notch, I kind of agree with your take on it, that it, that kind of plot was not that interesting. The best part was Shaq's. <laughs> I mean, there was, there was, I should also mention, there was the aspect of it where everybody showed up in their like holodeck outfits or like recreation yeah. outfits on that the deck. That was hilarious. And Shaq uh, shows up in his like um, clay making outfits. <laughs> Apparently, you can't ask him about Bajor. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you can't ask him about having having free time on Beijer to do fun personal stuff. Yeah. Fighting fascism uh, is a full time job. <laughs> <laughs> but he does then, seem to. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I, I was just going to say at the end. You know, the Klingon ship runs away, and they're like, "Well, that's weird," because usually they like really enjoy the idea of dying in battle. And Shax is like, "Yeah, honestly, I get it." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has now. He has. I mean, then he had to That's like face true. four duplicates of his father that <laughs> come back with the Black Mountain. Uh, well, finally, after all of this, we do get one final scene with the Borg Cube 90182. It is the first and only time that there has been a, a scene playing over the end credits in Star Trek. Mm. And I kept waiting for something to happen. And They're trying to go the mark. Marvel it, Wade. It it was it's gotta be I think the best joke in the entire episode. <laughs> like the it, like that that's that's definitely like the uh I, I I love it that it's you would not have been able to make that joke except by having how everything else was structured. I'm glad yeah. to know that nothing really happened because my husband had control of the remote and he turned it off and I was oh. like, No, you have to leave the credits Dude. on. What are you doing? <laughs> It's not going to black. How can you like, oh man? No. But if we were watching a Marvel film, you better believe he would have waited until the credits were over. So you know, whatever, dude. <laughs> I believe the Borg uh, Lord X were more interesting than the clump ship. So that's my take. <laughs> so any, the clump any... ship was the most interesting because of the title of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Any any final character notes that we haven't covered already or anything else from the episode that you'll want to talk about? Um, They they showed Yosemite. That was nice. That's true. (laughs) We did get a a scene out of uh, The Final Frontier. Another reference to Kirk on the Mountain. Oh, Oh, God. Yeah, I forgot about that. I liked that... um, so I, I, I get where you're coming from in terms of the, that it was maybe a bit of a letdown that uh, Dorg is the one behind the the uh, uh, pack lids, but I, I, it it at least like I, I got good like Chang from uh, the undiscovered country vibes uh, from Dorg, and it it, it was interesting to see uh, him struggling with some of the same uh, issues. Uh, like that the the Klingon Empire is nowhere near where it was, and like people don't fear us anymore. Um, and so I and I, I liked, I don't know. I, I, I'm always interested in a storyline that has like a a Klingon acting a little bit more Romulan, uh, and sort of the um, the uh, exploration of their culture that we get out of that. Trying to fight the rot within the Klingon Empire 
Um, I like the the captain's quarters. I don't know if I remember one um, so specifically decorated. There were some there were some curios, and I don't remember. Yeah, the Klingon skull the details. Yeah, um, but I like again going back to Ma and um, his his journey, and you didn't quite know what would happen or at the end, right? Because he mm-hmm. wasn't that strong. He got beat up a couple of times. You know, f- uh, fell under the weight of. Um, I wonder, Natch, was the way he killed his captain very similar to Gauron, where you're you're punched and you fall down, and then you have a sword, and then straight through? Yep, right. That is exactly okay. what happened. It, okay. it was a little bit different, but yeah, Gauron throws Worf through this like yeah. glass screen. Yeah. Worf is on the floor, mm-hmm. and then Gauron comes to like finish him with the batlet. He like pulls the batlet above his head, and Worf stabs him, leaves the knives in his belly. Mm. So yeah, and everyone's like Worf. Worf, Worf, <laughs> leader of the Empire. And the Worf's like, no, no, hear me, hear me. Slightly deeper voice, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I thought anyway. it was a great Michael Dorn impression, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I love Michael Dorn. How are you doing? <laughs> Is anyone else ever surprised when they see Michael Dorn in real life? Or, or like, you know, him in an interview. I don't mean, like, in person. Yeah. Um, and how We hang out all the time. Yeah, the connect. Like he's so small. He's like, like, yeah. He's just very, very slender, and it just always throws me off because I'm like, because they pad him up when he's warped. So (laughs) more of a Kelpian than a than a Klingon. (laughs) That would be funny if we got warped back as a Kelpian. I would, I would pay for that. I would pay for that. Well, I think that's about it. There are some other small jokes and whatever, but I think I think we don't need to belabor this topic too too much. Um, any other final episode points before we we go on to uh, ratings? Do, to make mention... you feel sorry, to make you feel a little excited about the next episode, Naj. Let's hope that um, behind the Klingons there were conspiring Romulans and we will see them <laughs> there next we go. time I'm manipulating <laughs> Lore was controlling Lore. the Cleons I do want to say that the re- re- reference to the sniper uh, rifle that could shoot through walls uh, there's a great season 7 episode of Deep Space Nine called Field of Fire you should go watch it and it's mm-hmm. great it's well, an Esri Dax episode right mm-hmm. yep <clears throat> I haven't actually watched too many Azri episodes. I've only watched DS9 once all the way through, so that might be a good one for me to try. Um, well, with that, let's go into strange new ratings. Who wants to stick their necks out and give Wedge Dooge a, ra- a rating? I will I'm... go ahead. Oh, sorry. Well, you'll go ahead because you, you spoke first, so go. There you go. Um, I will go ahead, and this is the sensational part i was talking about i will go ahead and give it an 11 out of 10 um, <laughs> what wow. i will take how do you do that in klingon you take uh, wedge and multiply it by three and minus one i don't know what yeah whatever so you end up at 11 somehow um i will say it's the best star trek episode i have seen tv series episode i have seen in the last two decades i looked at when um Voyager and DS9 ended specifically. That was 2001, so let's last 20 years. Um, I think they have started to get the mix right, at least for me as a viewer, between um, goofy slapstick comedy, a plot that holds you, some hyperlink aspects, um, 
um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. prospects for the future in terms of Tallinn, etc., and and Ma being a captain or his journey from a Lord Dex perspective, um, connecting this with you know Family Guy and a variety of um, adult animes like uh, Rick and Morty or even South Park. I think that's that's coming out well. Not not to take away from the others. I think the others have tried to do a lot. Um, writers have been changed and plots have twisted and turned but i i really like where lord x is going and i think this is one of their best episodes generally in star trek fantastic anybody else want to go with a 12 or 13 <laughs> want to mess up my rating system even more <laughs> i'm very excited for this i i i think i'm, I'm going to uphold the standards of, of our uh thing and I, i'm just this this one gets a perfect 10 from me i i think that this is the first episode that is worthy of um, the the or TNG episode Lower Decks of where we're getting a unique perspective on uh, some of the cultures and mm-hmm. races and and uh, like captains or or structure that, structures that we've seen in Star Trek and uh, even it, I, it's weird because I the first time I watched this I I thought some of the episode was a little bit slow but on the second rewatch uh, it uh, this episode is just it's great. I love it. You know, I was going to give it a 4.5, but I was, I started thinking as far as lower decks episodes go, it's my favorite lower decks episode. So that probably means I need to give it a five out of five, but um, I just, it just was good. And it, it didn't, I felt like it was another one of those that did a good job of making references to Star Trek without doing lists yeah. In the way that they've done in so many episodes. Um, so I, I enjoyed that too. I didn't feel like I was being hit over the head. Um, and I wasn't really annoyed by Mariner um, in this episode. Mm. I didn't feel like she was like trying to screw everything up or, or cause chaos or whatever. And anyway, yeah, I just, I thought it was a good episode. I'm, I'm going to go with a seven out of 10. I like this episode. I didn't dislike it. I'll probably watch it again for sure. I just can't remember anything that really blew me away. So uh, I, I hate to buck the trend, but uh, Bill, you're welcome to give like 15s and 16s if you want. <laughs> <laughs> then you could just like override all the previous, you know, by just or you could give it negative points if you really hate it too. To... <laughs> Board of honor, negative twenty. You gotta move that, move that average, right? Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give it an eight out of ten. I really liked it. I thought the, um, the plot on the Cerritos was didn't really stand out to me. I thought it, it was um, a little bit below average. But yeah, I loved the basic kind of structure with the, you know, Vulcan and Klingon plots. I thought that was great and very well executed. So eight right. out of ten. Well, fantastic. That was, it was It's been a good week for Star Trek. We've got some greater weeks coming up with Prodigy premiering. Before you know it, uh, two more weeks from now, we'll be talking about Prodigy. And, uh, you know, season finale next week. So at some point, we got to decide to do a season recap episode. I don't know if it's going to be alongside the first episode of Prodigy. Do we have a break between the two? I think there's a week between. All right, we might do it yeah. that way then. We'll, we'll do a season recap while in the off week. Um, and then, but, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing how they wrap up the season. I'm hoping for no cliffhangers. I know that's a vain hope, but like, I, I hate cliffhangers. Like they, they, they just eat me up inside. Can't binge this shit, you know, anymore. Uh, <laughs> if it's, if it's over. Uh, so anyway, well, 
Emily, Adam, Rudy, and Bill. Thank you so much for making my week as you do every week by talking to me about Star Trek for a couple of hours. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks so much. Making it happen. Of course. Thank you, dear listener, for coming in and listening to us. Thank you, Max and Dinah, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. I hope it's a good time. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. And special thanks to the other Packlid club ships called Packlid for not showing up and having to confuse us because be like, the Packlid is hit, which one? Uh, <laughs> which would be too much for us to keep track of any battle. So uh, th- thanks, special thanks to them. All right, everybody, we'll see you in a week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.